Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, the idea of maintaining cordial diplomatic relations and lines of communication with other countries is, well, as old as nation-states themselves. And one of the main ways countries do this is through diplomatic missions which often are headed up by an ambassador. United Kingdom's High Commissioner Laura Clark joins me now. Tēnākui, Commissioner. Celebrates. I'm joined by Ireland's first ever resident ambassador to New Zealand, Peter Ryan, who's in the Wellington studio. Hi, Peter. Hi, Jesse. US Ambassador to New Zealand, Scott Brown, is with us in the Wellington studio. Kia ora. Kia ora. But, of course, sometimes relations between countries sour, whether it's diplomats misbehaving. The High Court has heard that a Malaysian diplomat was naked from the waist down when he assaulted a Wellington woman in her bedroom in May last year. Former Ambassador Javier Prado was recalled to Peru in September after his country's foreign ministry found him responsible for labour abuse. Or a whole country. A growing list of nations has now followed Australia's lead in expelling Syrian diplomats, among them France and other European countries, the US, Canada and Britain. The government has told Fiji's acting High Commissioner here to get out of the country. The move's in direct response to Fiji's military leader giving New Zealand and Australia's top diplomats 24 hours to leave, claiming they were harassing and interfering with the country's judiciary. Yesterday, Russia's ambassador to New Zealand was called in to hear the country's strong opposition to its actions in recent days around the Ukraine. So, in light of recent events, all this leaves a bit of an elephant in the room. Latest round of expulsions on Tuesday, several EU countries kicked out dozens of Russian diplomats suspected of spying we're beginning the process of expelling 12 intelligence operatives from the Russian mission who had abused their privileges of residency in the United States. Should we be expelling Russian diplomats? Yeah, look, our view is we should expel the Russian ambassador. We should recall our own top diplomat. Um, the time for democracy, uh, for diplomacy sorry, is true, well and truly over. Today on the podcast, what do ambassadors do? When do you take the step to expel an ambassador and how serious a move is that? And why hasn't Aotearoa drawn a line in the sand and instructed the Russian ambassador to pack his bags and go home? Geoffrey Miller is an international analyst with the Democracy Project. I began by asking him what an ambassador actually is. Ambassador is the top government representative stationed in a foreign capital or country. As this is the short answer of what an ambassador is. There is one major distinction that we have. Uh, New Zealand has both ambassadors and high commissioners. High commissioners are between Commonwealth countries. Well, why do we have officials in other countries in the first place? Well, it goes back really to the, the 15th century Italy. Italy was comprised of a number of small states mm. and they were all quite vulnerable. So they set up uh, these ambassadors really as uh, a communication channel and uh, it stopped them from being squashed, for want of a better word. And this proved very useful, having this communication channel between countries. And I guess the advantage of an ambassador is that you've got someone who's actually in the country. To take the current example, we have a Russian ambassador based in Wellington. So we've got 
a top official from Russia based in, in New Zealand that we can talk to. If we want to talk to the Russian government, you can talk, of course, to Moscow directly. We've got an ambassador based in Moscow. Uh, but you can also just go down the road, uh, go up to Karori, in, in fact, and find the Russian ambassador there and talk to talk to him. And you know that he's got the direct link to the Russian foreign ministry, to his boss, Sergei Lavrov, in this case. And that's the case you know, for all the ambassadors and high commissioners. What does an ambassador do? Well, ambassadors have, have lots of functions. Uh, it is a management job, I guess, fundamentally. Uh, so they're a boss and they've got other diplomats to, to manage who all have varying roles. One of the biggest roles, though, for any diplomat, any ambassador, it's collecting information and finding out information about the host country and, and feeding that back. Now, sometimes this is done officially and sometimes this is done unofficially. Uh, in other words, spying. And spying is a big part of diplomacy. Diplomats have also got immunity, so there's a big attraction for countries to use uh, the embassies and high commissions as cover for spying. Now, New Zealand probably does a lot less of this than other countries, just based on our size. Um, but I'm, I'm sure we're not immune to doing some spying. You know, we are part of the Five Eyes, and I'm sure that's part of the part of the job. But it's not one that's openly talked about. New Zealand's original diplomat, uh, Carl. Berenson, going back to the 1920s, he described New Zealand's role or ambassador's role as being an eye, an ear and a voice. And I think there is some some truth to that. Uh, it is providing your position to other countries and stating what for New Zealand, what New Zealand's position is on particular issues. And it's about finding out what other countries' views are and, and feeding that back. Now, of course, now with the internet, we can find out what other countries' positions are directly. Mm. And so it is easier than it was in the past, thanks to modern communication, when perhaps having an ambassador or a high commissioner was essential. But it's still, it's still really useful uh, I think, to have that person on the ground. We notice that when we don't have an ambassador or a high commissioner in a country, it's just that much harder uh, to find out what's going on, to express our uh, our views uh, when when that's called for. So it, it's just much easier when you've got someone, got, got someone there on the ground. You brought up two things there, which um, uh, are tangential to what our conversation is really about, but so interesting that I want to talk about them briefly anyway. The first is spying. So spying is, is a thing that actually goes on in real life it is not just james bond 007 kind of stuff this is a thing that really happens and it's done by uh bureaucrats indeed uh and one of the main attractions for doing so for using your diplomats for spying is the vienna convention of 1961 and just diplomatic conventions dating back to that uh, 15th century uh is that diplomats have got immunity from prosecution a european diplomat is arguing she's covered by diplomatic immunity Eva Voroskova represented the European Union in New Zealand and leased a house for a three-year fixed term in 2015. But she vacated the Caracabay's property in Wellington after about six months, leaving the landlords out of pocket. If they're discovered spying, uh, they can be thrown out of the country, but that's the worst that can happen to them. They can't be imprisoned, they can't be locked up. Fiji's police commissioner says a recent incident involving a South African diplomat is now out of police hands and is a matter between the foreign ministries of both countries. Major General Ben Grinewald has cited the Vienna Convention for his actions in instructing police to release the man 
following a fatal car crash. You know, they can't be punished in any other way. So there's a huge incentive then to use diplomats uh, for spying activities. If you use, let's say, a businessman uh, as cover, then they don't have that immunity. They can be locked up. A Canadian-born former U.S. Marine has been convicted of spying in Russia. Under heavy guard in the courtroom, Paul Whelan continued to insist on his innocence, even as a panel of three judges sentenced him to 16 years in a prison labour camp. If you use one of your diplomats, then you know that they've kind of got, uh, then they do have that uh, diplomatic immunity. So, yeah, the, the, there's huge incentive to use diplomats for, for spying. And all countries spy on each other, uh, and with relatively few exceptions. Uh, you know, I think close allies don't tend to spy on each other, um, even though even then it's not completely out of the question. I, I don't think New Zealand will be spying on Australia, for example. But in general, uh, you know, Russia and the US, they'll be using their diplomats uh, as spies in each other's countries. And that's one reason why they don't want to expel diplomats uh, too often or too many of them, because uh, you know, it removes their ability to spy, given that any uh, expulsion of diplomats or of ambassadors is always going to result in reciprocal action. Most countries are aware to some degree of which diplomats and uh, missions on their territory are actually spies. It's, uh, you know, defence attaches and, and so forth. You know, we have counterintelligence that finds out who the spies are. So most countries are aware of where the where the spies are. Right, back to back to ambassadors. When we think about like an ambassador's life, I kind of I immediately veer to this very glamorous kind of um, thinking, you know, of, of, of dinner suits and cocktail parties and lavish dinners and, and that sort of thing. So I said I must get out of these wet clothes and into a dry martini. <laughs> oh, well said. Oh, you probably forget. Thank you. I pronounce it to be the most whimsical shape of the season. <laughs> I'm presuming that I'm quite far off the mark there. No, I don't think you're completely wrong. I mean, a lot of a diplomat's life is about whining and dining, particularly at an ambassadorial level. I mean, there are all kinds of functions uh, to go to, and a lot of it is just being uh, showing your presence. And of course, there's a lot of paperwork as well. There's a lot of meetings. Uh, you know, you're trying to learn about the country that you're you're based in, so you're meeting with academics, with business people, with officials, and you're you're trying to learn about. Uh, more about how that country works and how that country sees the world uh, and then you're feeding that back home so there's a fair amount of that there's also consular work and this is something that is often uh, forgotten I think you know an ambassador's role is to stand up for citizens of their country who are in the in the host country and uh, particularly if they get into to legal trouble uh, you know an embassy provides consular support makes representations between democracies you know we tend to let the legal process take its course but then there are times of course when you get uh, New Zealanders for example we're talking about New Zealand who uh, get locked up abroad somewhere in, in a country where you know there's not the same rule of law and we might make representations saying we want a fair trial or these charges are not really what you say they are and so forth so you know there's a there's that consular element of work and of course embassies and uh, consulates they issue visas to people wanting to visit other countries as well so there's all that side of thing the consular side and that's uh, quite a big part of of any embassy or consulate's work. Do ambassadors, as the highest ranking official in another country, do they have much independence or executive power to act unilaterally or are they are they pretty strictly following instructions from ministries, I suppose? Well, in, in theory they do. You know, the full title of an ambassador is an ambassador extraordinary 
and plenipotentiary. And this word plenipotentiary is, is from the Latin words for full powers. And so ambassadors technically do have the, uh, are empowered to sign treaties, uh, for example, in, in practice these days, it's, it's just not going to happen in the same way uh, without close instruction. You know, ambassadors and high commissioners, they're not just going to go solo and sign things and uh, without checking with their, their foreign minister. Um, you know, they'll be doing it now on based on instructions. But if you go back in history, you know, we didn't have that same fast, you know, rapid communication yeah. that we do now. Uh, before the 19th century, when the telegraph came in, there was no simple way, fast way to communicate across vast distances. So um, the example I find quite interesting was back in 1783, when at the end of the American Revolutionary War, the US dispatched in a number of officials, including Benjamin Franklin, to negotiate the treaty. And they were empowered to sign uh, a treaty, even though they couldn't necessarily communicate back with Washington on a, an immediate basis. So um, it is it is quite interesting, but it's something these days, you know, in reality, we've got, you know, uh, Zoom calls um, and uh, phone calls, and uh, yeah, that's been the case for you know since the, the 19th century, really. So uh, things get negotiated in close uh, cooperation with the foreign ministry at home, and based on what the government wants, uh, and ambassadors and high commissioners, they don't go solo, even though in, in theory, technically, they they could do. So. I guess if you're an ambassador and, uh, you know, if you're the high commissioner to Australia or or, or, or the UK or whatever, um, then largely you can expect things to go, you know, pretty well and to have a pretty sweet time. Um, but I guess in some situations, relations between countries do deteriorate. And when that happens, is it really the ambassador and the diplomats in that country who bear the brunt of that displeasure? Yes, they, they can do because that is that representative of, of a particular country. That's one way that you can react is kicking that uh, ambassador out. Uh, and New Zealand has done that in the past. Um, several times we uh, expelled the Soviet ambassador, um, Veslavod Zapinski, back in, in 1980. Robert Muldoon did that. The Soviet ambassador is being expelled from New Zealand because he has personally been involved in the transmission of money from the Soviet government to the Socialist Unity Party. The evidence on which this decision is based is conclusive. Uh, Muldoon also kicked out the Argentine ambassador in 1982 over the Falklands War, um, for, for example. And in more recent times, uh, we've expelled the Fijian High Commissioner back in 2008 and 2009. The Foreign Affairs Minister has announced that Fiji's acting High Commissioner to New Zealand, Kaluni Asi Seru Saval, has been declared persona non grata and must leave. Early this afternoon, uh, Todd Cleaver who's the acting head of mission for New Zealand in Fiji, was asked to go into the offices of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs there, received the documentation which declared him persona non grata. He was instructed to leave Fiji. Uh, at about three o'clock this afternoon, uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here, at my request, invited the acting head of mission in and made the same steps occur here. Uh, Mr Savu was declared persona non grata and ask to leave New Zealand. So um, it does happen. It doesn't happen very often, and you hope that it doesn't get to that point. There are a lot of things that you can do before expelling an ambassador. The number one thing you can do is you can call in the ambassador or high, or high commissioner and explain uh, 
um, your displeasure at something. And we've done that with the Russian ambassador back in uh, February. He was called into MFAT over what Russia has been doing in Ukraine. The government's called the Russian ambassador in amid growing tensions in Ukraine. Western allies are cracking down on Moscow. But it is quite an extreme step to expel an ambassador. It's not something that you, you do lightly because you didn't lose that contact. And uh, you know, if we expelled the Russian ambassador, you'd lose that uh, Russian representative in New Zealand. And you wouldn't have the ability then to tell him or her, well, in this case him, what you think of what's going on, uh, for example, with the, the war in Ukraine. Well, let, let's go into that a bit more. So, like, so is that the move to expel an ambassador, is that pretty much the most severe diplomatic punishment tool that you have at your disposal as a country? There's one more, uh, and that is that you actually cut off diplomatic relations altogether. You can expel an ambassador uh, while still allowing the embassy to operate with lower-level officials. Mm. Sometimes that does happen. The US, for example, their ambassador was expelled from Belarus back in uh, 2008 over tensions there with, with Minsk. and uh, But their embassy was still allowed to operate with about four staff. Um, and so the diplomatic relations weren't cut completely. Um, an example where diplomatic relations have been cut altogether, again using a US example, would be the US and Iran. They cut their diplomatic relations back in 1980 and they still are severed. Iranian students continue to hold more than 50 hostages at the American embassy in Tehran this morning. Spurred on by an anti-American speech by the Ayatollah Khomeini, they stormed the embassy, fought the Marine Guards for three hours, overpowered them, and took dozens of American hostages. The Iranians burned a United States flag and denounced the U.S. government, saying they would stay until the U.S. sends the deposed Shah back to Iran. So the U.S. has no embassy in Iran at all, and U.S. interests are represented there by Switzerland. That's the, the most severe step when you cut relations off altogether. But uh, uh, in practice, uh, kicking out the ambassador is probably as severe as most countries will want to go. We've talked a little bit about the, the Russian ambassador in, in Aotearoa and what uh, might happen there. There's been discussion ongoing for quite some time about whether we should expel the Russian ambassador. What are your thoughts on this? Is this likely? What, what would his expulsion sort of achieve? Well, it would show your anger at what Russia has done uh, with this unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. But I'm not a fan of the idea of expelling the Russian ambassador. Uh, National and the Greens have both called for this to happen. But I, I think you lose that uh, communication channel. You use the uh, ability to uh, have that dialogue uh, with Russia. You know, we're in day 69 of the war. As I speak to you today, there's no end in sight. And uh, we need a ceasefire in this war. There's a lot of discussion about you know, military aid and lethal aid and, and sanctions and so forth. But what we really need is a ceasefire. Uh, we need the two sides to stop fighting. We need Russia to stop killing Ukrainians. Uh, Russia started the war. Obviously, a lot of what happens is, is determined by what Russia does. And we need to be able to tell Russia what we what we think, uh, in my view. And uh, if we kick out the ambassador, it's going to feel good for a day or two or a week or two, but then you realise you don't have that channel anymore and you've kind of burned your bridges. Um, you know, maybe you think that's a price worth paying. I don't 
think so personally. I think it'd be better to keep the ambassador there and uh, keep calling him into the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade and telling him what you think about the war and uh, you think using that communication channel. I, I think we need more dialogue, not less, if we're going to stop this war in, in, in Ukraine. And we've got to look past, you know, even if we don't like Russia, uh, you know, you might say we hate what you're doing, but we still need to be able to, to talk and uh, have that dialogue, in my view. That's really that's really fascinating, because I, I feel like a lot of people will probably have the view that, like, well, you know, but, you know, bugger it, essentially. Um, they, they've behaved unacceptably here, and they've shown that they're willing to invade another sovereign nation what else can you kind of do? This is a global pariah and it should be sort of treated as such. But, but you seem to be saying, you know, that actually maintaining that communication line is a really, a really serious, valuable thing. There's an argument uh, for that. I Look, I understand the sentiment and the fury at what Russia is, is up to. Uh, you know, this invasion of Ukraine, it's, it's just brutal when you look at what's happened in Butcher, uh, when you look at what's happened to Mariupol. Uh, and uh, there have been thousands of Ukrainians that have been killed. There's five million Ukrainian refugees. You might say, look, Russia's in no mood to talk. Uh, they've refused every effort. Uh, at talking uh, before the war and since then, uh, what's the point? Uh, we've run out of options. Let's just kick out the uh, kick out the ambassador, close down the embassy, the Russian embassy there in Wellington, and and kick them all out, send them back home to Moscow. But I would ask, what would that actually achieve beyond showing your fury? Would that make a ceasefire any more likely? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it would. I think Russia would just dig its heels in even more. Russia would uh, hold on to that prior status even more because you know, if other countries are kicking it out, it would probably just make it look uh, even more inward than it than it already is. So I don't think it would achieve anything. I don't think it would stop the war. I think it would be satisfying uh, if you're uh, a supporter of that, if you're Jerry Brownlee or Golaris Garriman, the National and Green Party Foreign Affairs, Affairs spokespeople, you know, they're calling for this. Why would we want to have diplomatic representation with a country that's acted in such a, a, an overtly aggressive manner and continues to kill people, innocent people, civilians, on a daily basis. It's just uh, beyond me. I'm no doubt that it would be very satisfying uh, to do that, to make a statement, make a stand, say it's unacceptable, the war, so unacceptable that we can't have you, uh, can't have a representative of Russia in in our country, in New Zealand. But beyond that, yeah, I just don't think it would achieve uh, a great deal. Mm. And other countries haven't picked out their ambassadors, their Russian ambassadors either, even the likes of Poland, uh, for example. Next door neighbour hasn't kicked out their, uh, haven't expelled their Russian ambassadors. Uh, the US has never expelled a Russian ambassador uh, throughout the Cold War, right up to the present day through this conflict. So that tells you that it would be a pretty severe step to take, and it's not one that New Zealand is going to take on its own. While the step to expel an ambassador is on a different level, it's worth noting the USA and a number of European countries have expelled Russian diplomats and embassy staff over the war in Ukraine. Close to 400 diplomats have been sent home since the invasion began. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Jeffrey Miller. Matewa.